I take a deep breath because I think this morning um, we want to talk about something that um, uh, is, is, is deeper than we could ever unpack this morning. It's uh, more significant than maybe some of us are even going to grasp. And so there's this it's kind of a weight on me this morning to get this right, to um, present it in such a way that it's understood. And uh, I think that this, this morning, as we continue in our series on Why Church, um, I truly am asking and praying that every single one of us in this room would truly examine ourselves and allow God to examine us in what we uh, are going to talk about this morning. And so I hope with that I maybe have some of you a little bit nervous and like, okay, something big's coming, so pay close attention. But uh, we started this um, year off by looking at this theme for the year. And I love working with themes. It helps me stay um, kind of uh, in, in the zone and it keeps me focused. But we started this year by looking at this theme of why church? And we're kind of wrestling with the question of why would God, if you think about it, why would God, a, a supreme being, send his son Jesus, who died for the sins of the world, who miraculously rose from the dead, who ascended to heaven, and then tells us, your turn. You do the rest. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but now it's on you. If you think of that logically, it makes absolutely no sense because it's like, we're humans, we have a history of being flawed. The entire Old Testament, every king, every leader that ever was put in place basically messed up to some degree. And now God's saying, you know what, I just made the ultimate sacrifice of giving my son Jesus, and I'm going to now give this ministry to the hands of people who have a history of getting it wrong. Why church? So this morning we want to talk about this, and we started in the beginning of the year by looking at the nature of the church, the function of the church, the life, the, you know, the mission, all these things that the church, that make up the church, and now we want to process this again through, though, the lens of 1 John. And if you've ever read the book of 1 John, it is this feel-good book. As a matter of fact, any new Christian that comes to me and says, what book should I read first? 1 John. Go to 1 John, read that book. It's going to encourage you. It's going to challenge you. It's going to be, this is beautiful. There's so much comfort and things. And yet in this book, there are some hard, hard message just for us as a church because he's writing this to the church. And so we know that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for us to continue the work that he has started. And in this section of 1 John that we're going to look at today in chapter 2, we are going to look at this warning that John gives to the church. This incredible warning that he says to this congregation, and he keeps referring to them as my dear children. He's deeply concerned about this church, and he says, there are people here who are misleading you. And there are people who have given you a false doctrine, and they have actually become enemies of Jesus. And so he wants to write to this church, or he does write to this church, to give them a warning against such people. And in this section, you're also going to see some words that cause all kinds of debate and all kinds of conversation. And so we're going to look at that really briefly. But let me start by reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 um, all the way to 28. And if you have your Version Bible app, you can follow along there. It's going to be on the screen. But let's read this together, and then we'll go back. And then we'll kind of go through this verse by verse. And so we have a lot to talk about this morning. So um, I'm going to try to read this as quickly as we can. So follow along. Second John chapter 2, I mean, sorry, 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 1. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, I'm sure by now I got most of your attention. Because the last hour, ooh, eschatology. Most of you are like, okay, I'm all about the end times. Speak to me. Antichrist scares the living beans out of most of you. Sorry, beans. Didn't mean to call you out. But um, <laughs> let me keep reading. I said I'd read this fast. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Woo, we could already just stay right there and talk all afternoon. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. All the Calvinists say, Amen. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one denies the Father has the uh, no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that you see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and the in the Father. And this is the promise. This is what He promised us: eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. For as, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, my dear children, continue in him, so that... When he appears, he may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Any questions? It's an amazing passage. And we could do all kinds of sermons on this, but John starts here with this very, very personal remark. He calls, like I said, he calls his, his readers, the church, his dear children. He has this incredible love for this church. For these Christians and he's he's writing to them and he wants them to understand what is happening amongst them as we said last week there were those in the church who were teaching a false doctrine and John is reminding the church of what the true message is of the true message the early church in Asia Minor has been wounded they had been deeply wounded by those who were against Christ, who had somehow, though, blended or filtrated into the church, but now it appears that these individuals have been exposed. And suddenly, this message that they were teaching, it's been exposed. They were not teaching a true doctrine. And Jesus warned that there would be those false teachers in the last day. In, in Mark chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus said this, for false messages and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So Jesus warned that this would come. And John now seems to be saying, this is now that time. This is now the time that Jesus was talking about. It's interesting for us to note that the early church clearly expected... They clearly expected that a figure of evil would appear at the end of times. 
So what is this final hour that John is writing about? It is the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. It's the age, this age that is coming to an end that will never be the same again. And so John is warning about this last hour. And he tells them that you've heard that the Antichrist has come and it has now come. So who is this Antichrist? Because this word, Antichrist, brings up all kinds of the debate. If, as a matter of fact, if you ever plan on writing a book, just throw the word Antichrist on it and it'll sell more books. I guarantee you, it's going to sell more books. So who is this Antichrist? The term Antichrist is widely used by teachers of prophecy in our time today. But it's interesting that the actual word Antichrist occurs only in John's letters. It occurs in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 22, chapter 4, verse 3, and 2 John chapter 7. So this is a word that isn't used in other areas of the Bible. It is only used in John's writings. Antichrist comes from the Greek word antichristo, which means literally adversary of the Messiah. And so John here is speaking not of the Antichrist. He knew that there was an expectation of the Antichrist who would come at the end of times. And it's interesting if, if we look at history a little bit, we recognize that this was written during or just after the reign of Emperor Nero. And if you've studied history at all, you need to understand that Emperor Nero was probably one of the most barbaric persecutors of Christianity that we have ever had in history. He would literally burn people alive for sheer um, entertainment. And this was this man who just absolutely despised Christians. He blamed them for the fires. And here he was torturing and persecuting Christians. And many of the believers at this time that John is writing must have believed that this is the end time. This is the last hour. So John is writing to them. And he quickly turns his focus not on, you know, he quickly turns his focus from the Antichrist to the activities of the Antichrist. So John very quickly, instead of saying, well, this is who the Antichrist is, he rather wants to talk about what will the Antichrist be doing. Look at verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained within us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to them, to us. This is written, written to assure the church, and this is really important for us to grasp. That he's writing to this church to assure the church that this struggle, this, this woundedness that they've experienced, does not need to be seen only as a negative. That this departure of, a, of these bad people in the church who are misleading them isn't necessarily a bad thing. Them leaving is actually a healthy thing for the church. These were people... John, these, were the people, these are the people John re was referring to when he talked about the many Antichrist. These were people who at one time were part of the church, but for whatever reason, chose to believe a different doctrine, a different belief, and were now actually against the gospel. As crazy as it sounds, sometimes when people like this leave the church, it is actually good for the church. As pastors, we like to call this the backdoor revival. Because the opponents of the church have left, now suddenly the church is able to be renewed, united, and work together again to be led by the Holy Spirit. In verses 20 and 21, John outlines the differences between them, the church, and these many antichrists. 
He reminds the church that they have, been, that they have received an anointing. He reminds them of the presence of the Holy Spirit who will lead them and who will guide them. Verse 20, but you, he's speaking to us, he's speaking to the church, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. See, it's very possible at this moment the church is saying, can we also be deceived? Are we deceived? Are we also believing something that isn't true? Are we in danger of being misled? And John says, you have an anointing. You have an anointing and you know the truth because the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to you. Anointing is closely related to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21 he says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth. Excuse me. But because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So John is not writing to people who have been deceived. He's rather writing to people who could or who are in danger of being deceived. And so he says to them, he encourages them, you know the truth because the Holy Spirit is in you because you have received the anointing. In this passage, John emphasizes that this anointing guides the believers into truth. In verse 27, he says, his anointing teaches you about all things. When Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so now what John is doing, he's reminding this church, you're not in danger of, you know, that you haven't been deceived, but you are in danger of being deceived if you do not, as we'll look in a little bit, if you do not remain in Christ. And he's comforting them, though, by saying, you have this anointing. You cannot accidentally be deceived. So what John is saying here is that the anointing or the presence of the Holy Spirit will alert them to false doctrine, to false teaching of this Antichrist faction. So the believer must be diligent, then, in being aware of false teaching, but also, also trust that the work of the Holy Spirit will be in them to re reveal to them these false teachings. If you look at verse 22 and 23, John reveals the heresy now of these antichrists, this group that is spreading this false message. What do they believe? He says, who are these liars? Who are the liars? And look at what he claims. This is what the antichrists are teaching. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This group denied that Jesus was the Son of God. And this is the Gnosticism that we talked about last week. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He adds, he says, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard about is coming and even now is already in the world. So the spirit of the Antichrist, the teaching of the Antichrist, is to deny the humanity of Jesus. We briefly talked about this last week. 
And that there were those in the church who, didn't, who would say that Jesus was just a seeming one. He, he just appeared to be there. He wasn't really there. He wasn't really in the, in the flesh. This appears to be um, a form of the um, docetism. Fancy word if you like it. But this is the idea that matter is all evil and spirit is all good. And so therefore there's no way that Jesus could have been both at the same time. So John really emphasizes that anyone who would deny the humanity of Jesus is not teaching a true gospel. So as we see that in what John wrote in chapter 4, only the spirit that acknowledges the humanity of Jesus is from God. To deny the humanity of Jesus is heresy. And this is what the many antichrists were teaching. The antichrist group may believe in the Father, or they may claim to believe in the Father, but John argues that you, you can't really believe in the Father and then deny the Son because the two are one. And so in verses 24 to 27, John, he exhorts his readers now to adhere to the teaching that they were first taught. Look at what he says to them. He's, he's challenging them to not desert this truth for this new teaching. Verse 24, As for you, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now you have to understand, this is John writing this. And John is believed to have also written the, uh, the, uh, the Gospel of John. And so it shouldn't, we shouldn't think of it as a coincidence then that he's using very similar language that Jesus used in John chapter 17 I mean, in chapter 15, verse 7, where Jesus says, If you will remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Very, very similar language. Let's go back to verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Make sure, he's saying to his readers, don't let this message, don't let what we taught you, don't let this truth leave you. Look at the promise that he says, if it does, if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. John is guaranteeing that this truth of the gospel, if it remains in us, then we will have fellowship with Christ. It's possible that some of the people may have wondered, can this suddenly be taken from us? Can we somehow lose what we have? And so John is saying, you cannot be misled, you cannot be misguided if, if you do not allow what the true gospel to leave you. If you remain in that. What a beautiful promise for us today. John warns us, he's warning them and he's warning us against drifting away. See, we can get lazy in our Christian walk. We may spend more time reading blogs. We may spend more time watching videos. We may spend more time listening to the teachings of others than in studying the Word of God for ourselves. And the challenge here for us is that we would never take our faith for granted, that we would never allow someone else to do all the feeding, that we would feed ourselves by reading the Word of God continually to stay in touch with what Jesus taught, to faithfully, faithfully remain in him. So John concludes this chapter by encouraging the church to trust the Holy Spirit and to allow themselves to be led and to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. 
It says, I'm writing, I am writing these things to you because about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his te anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as, it has, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. And now, my dear children, continue in Him, so that whatever, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. Now, I wonder if some of you caught that. I'm sure maybe some of your ears perked up a little bit. So let's just open this up. So, if the Holy Spirit teaches us, he says, you do not need anyone to teach you. So some of you may be wondering, well then, okay, why am I sitting here? Why am I sitting here? Why am I allowing this guy to talk to me? Do, is, is John saying here that we should never, we should reject all other teachers, that we should never receive any teaching from anyone else? Is he saying, let's empty the churches? Why are you all sitting around listening to one guy do the teaching? Is that what John is saying? The answer is no. And it's not just because my job depends on it, you know. But no, that's not what John is saying. However, you might argue that if we have the Holy Spirit and if the Holy Spirit teaches us all things, then we don't need pastors, we don't need teachers. I know that there are people out there who would strongly argue this verse and say, this is why it is so dangerous for you to all come here and listen to one guy teach because it can be so easily distorted. And to some degree, I would say, amen. This is why it's so important that we are all reading our Bibles and not only hearing it for one hour a week on a Sunday morning from one person. When Paul speaks about the unity within the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he points out that God has gifted and placed in the church people with different gifts. Apostles, prophets, teachers, and so on. And then in verse 29, he asks this question. Are all apostles, are all prophets, do, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Clearly, John is pointing out here that God has gifted and called certain people into the church for a very specific purpose. His readers then are to reject the teachings of the Antichrist group that is spreading a new teaching. The Holy Spirit will remind them of the truth. They do not need these teachers to give them a new gospel, a new message. I would caution us to be leery of anyone says, I have a new revelation from the Holy Spirit. I would caution us to be very careful in understanding what Scripture says when someone says that. So John is saying, be careful with this idea that there is a new gospel. He says, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need that kind of teaching. You do not need to look to these, in these days, you know, um, to people who have something new for us. And the truth is, in these days, there are many, many false prophets, false teachers among us. They are plastered all over YouTube. They're all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They have their own TV networks. And they lead these massive ministries. And unfortunately, every single day, people embrace them without any discernment. Here's something you need to understand. Not everyone who prays in Jesus' name or who invokes the name of Jesus in their sermons is speaking truth. 
I was recently uh, sent a video of a pastor um, who would walk around his church and he's waving at them and he's, you know, saying all kinds of crazy things. And these people would just fall down as he was doing this. And he would laugh the most wicked laugh. And the thing that I found interesting was this was a place where the, the arena or this place was filled with thousands and thousands of people. And you wonder, how? How does this happen? How do all these people sit there and watch this guy blasphemy, blaspheme God's son's name? And yet there they were, thinking that this was the most spiritual man they'd ever encountered. Over the years of working here, I've had a number of times where someone will tell me, oh, I'm really, you know, I love this ministry and love this ministry, you know, from somebody. And, and I remember one person that came up to me and they talked to me about that. And, and I just, you know, couldn't help it. I'm like, man, that, that, that sounds familiar. So I went and, and I looked it up and, man, I just had some real concerns. And so I shared this with this person. I said, I have some concerns about, about this. And I was shocked when this individual said to me, the only reason you're concerned is because you're insecure and you think that I'm going to start listening to pre, um, pastors who are better than you. And this was someone that I, I loved. Someone I was close to. Someone that, you know, and you're wondering how. How did this person allow themselves to be so deceived you know, when someone sent me this video with this pastor on YouTube, you know, when you're on YouTube, you go into the dark side really quickly, and videos like this, well, they're, they're right there. And so I just kept, oh, the next link. And guess what I found? I found a video of a pastor who told his congregation, run outside and eat grass. And you would think you would all sit there and go like, you dummy. No way. They ran outside, dove on the ground, and started eating grass. How does that happen? I think John is saying here that he would look at me right now and say, that's an extreme case, but that can happen. See, anytime you believe in something other than the truth, you may as well be chewing on grass. Because that is the thing with the gospel. Jesus is the way, the truth. There is no other truth. And in 2018, you and I are going to be challenged many, many times by people who may want us to believe in something that is not true. So we must be open to be taught, but at the same time, we must place God at the absolute forefront of everything that we believe because we know it's God who has ordained certain people to teach. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, for what purpose? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Never taking the message of Jesus for personal gain, but rather to build up the body of Christ. So while we must be open to godly teaching and preaching, we must be careful that this teaching is always in line with Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to help us in discerning whether it is. John teaches us here that we as believers must learn to discern what teachings are true and what are false. So this brings us then to our theme again. Why church? Why church? Why would God entrust this incredibly important message that can be so easily twisted and used for the wrong reasons? I hope 
that we can even just begin to imagine for just a moment how it must break God's heart to see people using His Son's name in such a distorted way. So church, we're in this place. And if you don't think in 2018 there are going to be people who are going to challenge us to think differently about truth of Scripture, then we are ignorant. Because every single day we may be challenged in some way to consider, well, maybe it doesn't mean what it says. So it's so important for us then to read God's Word, to understand God's Word, and to ask the Holy Spirit constantly for guidance. When I think of Jesus handing us, the church, this incredibly, uh, incredible responsibility that he himself started, man, what a privilege. What a privilege. What an opportunity. What an amazing thing to be given. So let us never misuse the word of God. Let's remain in him. To stay true to the message of Jesus. To never mislead those who come into our midst and to never allow ourselves to be misled. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and the team can come up. I'm going to wrap up with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and look at this, and who correctly handles the word of truth. God's word is truth. And we, the church, are now told and given this opportunity to take this truth to the world. So if you're not reading your Bible, would you please start? Would you dive in? Would you meet in life groups and would you learn to understand what this all means so that as you go into your work environments, as you go into your school environments, as you are in your local community, maybe even your family, and there are going to be times where you're going to be challenged, but at that moment you have read the Word of God. You have discerned it together with others. You have prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth. At that moment, you will be able to stand and remain in that truth. Amen.